I have to introduce myself. My name is Victor. <laughs> I'm the adult ministers pastor here, and uh, it's always an honor to stand before the saints of God and share the word of God. So if you have your Bible, please open with me to the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Uh, if you're there, please remind us that you have arrived. Just say, I'm there. Two people again. We got it? Okay. All right. All right. So this is week three of our series called uh, Clash of Cultures. Clash of Cultures. Our series is based uh, on the, the first half of the book of Daniel. And the title for our message today is a Faith in the Fire. I'm sure some of you have experienced some sort of fire because I believe that at some point in life, every believer, at some point in our lives, our faith comes under fire. The year of living the Christian life and studying the Bible, these years do not give us immunity from the fire, unfortunately. It's a good thing. In fact, sometimes the longer you are a believer, the more the fire. The longer, like the song we were singing, the longer you dwell in this uh, Christian enterprise, the longer you walk with Christ, the more the fire. It doesn't cease. Our fires come in different shapes and sizes. But their objective is always the same. His fires come to pressure us so we can bow to the demands and conform to the host culture, or these fires come to bring us to the place of complete dependence on God. Two things. You can conform to the pressure of the host culture, or you can fully depend on your God. So you see, fire is not bad anyway. Our American culture, if you look around, that our American culture has progressively become very anti-Christian. Very anti-Christian. It's no longer cool to be a Christian. Everywhere you look, especially where you see that there is a lot of hate and uh, persecution. And sometimes this puts a lot of pressure on us as children of God. It puts pressure on the Christian community. So I, you can agree with me that in the years to come, we are going to start to see two kinds of Christians. Those who bow to the gods of culture and those who bow to Yahweh. It's going to happen. It's already happening. There are people who cannot handle the pressure. So they walk out of church. The numbers out there they are very intimidating because of the pressure of the culture. The question is that I have for you, which God will you bow to, the gods of the culture or the God of the Bible? And so today we shall look on the, we shall be in the third chapter of the book of Daniel, and then we'll look at uh, how God's people are surviving or thriving in this community. Pastor Fikir has been talking about it. God's people are already deported in Babylon. 
they have been deported, and these are God's people, the Jews. They are now forced to leave and serve, and, and, and serve under the rulership of ungodly Gentile kings. Then the question we have to ask ourselves, when you find yourself under the rulership of an ungodly Gentile king, and you are a Jew or you're a child of God, are you going to worship the gods of the Gentile king, or are you going to stand your ground and worship your God? Because that's where we find ourselves as well. We are, we are no different than these people. Our world has shifted a lot. So will they bow to the idols of their new masters, or will they stand their ground for their God? So our study focuses on uh, the courage of the three friends of Daniel. We know their names. Their names are very common in Sunday school. Uh, everybody who's been to Sunday school has heard about Shadrach. Uh-huh. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> you guys went to Sunday school. If you missed it today, we will be together. These guys, these three Hebrew men, some people call them boys, but these three Hebrew brothers, even in the face of death, they rejected idolatrous worship. And that is what they will teach us today. Through them we learn that courageous faith rejects idolatrous worship. Courageous faith rejects idolatrous worship. And that's going to be our big idea today. The question is, how does one live with courageous faith in a hostile culture? How? Well, the answer is easy. So we'll look at number one. You have to reject cultural idolatry. As simple as that. So let's look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. It's going to be a, a hike of a read. So buckle up. <laughs> and then we go through this together. Chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors and treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered on the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Oh my goodness, a lot of repetition. And the herod proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that you... Uh, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the, na all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8. 
We'll read up to 12. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fairy furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the fairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Reject cultural idolatry. Now, I want you to picture what's happening in this plain of Dura. Can you envision this tremendous sight? Thousands of people have been gathered in the desert. They're standing before a 90 feet tall statue. Thousands of people. And next to this statue is a blazing furnace, ready to incinerate anyone that defies the king's orders. Now that's not a pretty image. Now the question that comes to my mind is like, why did Nebuchadnezzar come up with this idea? Why 90 feet? 90 feet and 9 foot wide image. That's how this thing was. Last week we were looking at the interpretation of Daniel's dream. Now my question, as you study, you ask yourself, is this the way the king chose to respond to Daniel's interpretation of the dream? Because when you look at chapter 2, verse 37 and 38, when Daniel was interpreting the dream, he says, O king, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given uh, wherever they dwell, uh, and into whose hand he has given uh, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. So is this the way the king is choosing to respond to this dream? Since he is represented in the dream as the greatest with a gold head, is this how he chose to respond to Daniel's interpretation? To show that he is in charge. I think Nebuchadnezzar loved being number one. That's it. He just loves being number one. And he believes in his mind because his people have been telling him, live forever. Oh, king, live forever. In his mind, he thinks he will live forever. So he will remain number one. And then comes the accusers in verse 8. Like, what? What are you trying to do? Verse 8 tells me that, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward, maliciously accusing the Jews. Like, what is, what's their point? Are they jealous of the swift promotion? Because chapter 2 ends with the king promoting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in positions of 
high responsibility. So are these Chaldeans, astrologers, jealous of this quick and rapid promotion? Could they have influenced the king into building a statue, maybe to test the loyalty of his servants? There's so many questions that can go in in the background to answer why we may never have time. Figure out why Nebuchadnezzar came up with this. Is he full of himself? A king who sets up a 90-foot statue, probably that looks like him, for people to watch. What is the point? The point is, we don't know. Whatever his point is, whatever inspired him to erect such an image, we may never know. But what we know, ladies and gentlemen, what we know is that when the explosion of music filled the plain of Dura and the sea of humanity fell on their faces before this image, three figures stood firmly, quietly, and not bending a knee. And their names are Shidrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everyone Imagine thousands and thousands of people laying on the ground, worshiping this idol, giving in to the pressure of the king. Imagine the pressure that comes with that. There's three men saying, we will not bow. Now, today we may not have a 90-foot statue that we worship. We may not have those statues around Detroit or in the suburbs where we live, but that doesn't mean that we don't have idols. We have our own idols. We have set up these cultural idols that we, we, we give our allegiance to, idols of money, you know, idols of fame. We want to be popular. We want to be famous. Idols of work, uh, consumerism. We shop and shop and shop. Shop on Christmas, shop on Thanksgiving, shop on Saturdays. When we are stressed, we shop. When we are hungry, we shop. When we, we shop, so we become shoppers and we shop. Consumerism, idols of pleasure, idols of power. Like Pastor Fricker was saying, we are in uh, election year. We are going to see that a lot. Where people just are full of, you can tell they're just twisting the truth on the TV because they want, they want that power. They want a piece of it. So they're idols of power. And the worst of all, we have these idols of self. Me. 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 You rise up every morning, you spend two hours in the mirror, and you spend three minutes in the Word of God. Me. You'd rather drive your car. Actually, some people make it. They drive and they park in the, chat, in the parking lot, and then they spend 45 minutes looking at themselves. And then they come in the service late. They miss the worship. I'm not saying it's you. <laughs> <laughs> the idols of self. 
We are trained from young age to love ourselves. And so we become the center. Our parents love us so much. They provide everything. So we're always thinking about myself, me, at work, me, at church, me. What satisfies me? What can give me more joy? What more can I buy? How can I be happy? It's, it's me. We have been told that through these idols, we can discover personal identity, meaning, and security. That's not true. There is no identity in worshiping an idol. There's no security in bowing down to the cultural idols. There is no meaning. Our true meaning, ladies and gentlemen, can only be found in God. And I know that's basic truth, but that's the truth. Our true meaning, our true identity, our true purpose can only be found in God. Therefore, I want to invite us today, reject cultural idolatry like these men did. Reject cultural idolatry. I don't know how many hours you spend on Amazon shopping. It's cultural idolatry. I don't know. Maybe when you look at your finances, it's not a big deal. But what about your soul? The things you, you know, we spend time. Maybe reduce on your visits to Amazon or these shopping websites. What about cutting your streaming subscriptions? You know, the things we spend our, you're on Hulu, you're on Voodoo, you are <laughs> the Walking Dead. Now we have notifications. It just keeps coming up. It never ends. Xfinity has a new app, and this one has a new, and these ones are merging, and it's, oh, it's going to be so cool. Reduce on your streaming subscriptions. Maybe partner with a friend and say, I'm going to cut that this year. It's a cultural idol that sucks all of us and we spend hours and hours streaming this and jumping from this one and hopping on this one. Maybe we reduce the hours we spend in the mirror as well. How long you spend in the mirror looking at yourself? When you stand for God, I'm going to remind us that when you stand for God, you will always stand out. When you stand for God, like these men did, you always stand out. And what happens is that what happens is that you're going to face some opposition. But even in the face of opposition, be prepared. Which brings us to a second point, refuse to compromise. When you stand for God in the midst of this pressure, you will be criticized. You'll be hated. So refuse to compromise. Verse 13 to verse 18. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage, because these men have rejected his idol. They have rejected Tabal. Now Nebuchadnezzar is furious. Uh, he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. They've been accused, remember. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true? Is it true 
All Sidrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the binding fury furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, please pay attention to this verse. Our God whom we serve is able. If you had a pen or highlight, I would underline that. Is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse number 18. But if not, that's another area you can highlight. Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now imagine the pressure, imagine the pressure that surrounded these men to worship the statue. Pressure from above, pressure from the sides, from the people around them. And we see this pressure increasing by intimidation, malice, and threats. Now the king is enraged that these men have defied his orders. And maybe perhaps because they are connected to Daniel, they are friends with Daniel, he gives them a second chance. He says, I'll give you another opportunity. But they would not. And I love how they responded. Now, I already read it, but it's fun to read it again because we are going to point out some things here. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, this is how they responded. We have no need to answer you in this matter. So verse 17, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. Now that is a faith that has assurance. Like they have assurance that their God is able. God is able to do. That's what he said he will do. He's going to fulfill Every promise, don't give up on God, because he won't give up on you. He's able. He is able. Assurance. He will save us, he will deliver us from the burning fairy furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He will deliver us. Look at that confidence. So their faith also has a layer of confidence, not just assurance, but they are confident. But look at another layer that comes with it. But if not, that's submission. If not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, this verse that we just read is two verses, I think. This is, these are, this is one of the strongest statements of faith in the whole Bible. One of the strongest statements you will find. They trusted the Lord to decide their destiny while still being faithful to Him. 
Now that's faith, my friend. And they didn't end there. They believe and they know and they have accepted that God may deliver them or he may choose not to rescue them. It was his choice. It was his choice. So like I said, follow the progression of their faith. Has assurance and confidence and submission. Now majority of us trust that our God is able to do all things. We have that trust, we have that uh, assurance sometimes and confidence. But we struggle to submit to his sovereign will. We struggle. Very difficult to submit when God's sovereign will differs from our request. It's hard. Because we want things to be done the way we want. So when God's decision differs from our request, it becomes difficult for us to remain faithful to God. Remain faithful. I remember a time when my wife, after Isla, we, we conceived and had, don't talk about this a lot. Because any parent who has gone through it would tell you that it's the hardest experience. My wife, on a trip to New York, she was pregnant. And then she calls me. She had had a miscarriage. Now, I'm a believer. I love Jesus. I read my Bible. I pray. I love my God. I know he loves me. But that's a hard, a hard experience as a parent. You ask questions. You didn't see value in this child? Those are questions you, you wrestle with. Your Why? Why would you let the child just die like that? And then, and then he's silent. And then you're looking for those answers, but he's not saying anything. And you're like, now where are you, God? You said I'll be there with you. I'll never leave you as orphans now. I need you to respond to this, and you're processing all this. I'm thinking in terms of what is best for me, but I'm not thinking in terms of the will of God. Like, what is, it is hard to discern the will of God. It is hard. So that's why we, we find it very difficult to submit to his sovereign will. The book of Habakkuk, this is one of my favorite books in the script in the Bible. Habakkuk is a couple books after Daniel. So don't go backward, go forward. After the book of Nahum. 
Now, Habakkuk is wrestling with God about some questions. He's actually wrestling about the Chaldeans. Like, why would you let evil thrive while your children perish? He's asking these questions. It's a very great dialogue. If you ever have a 20 minutes of your day, go and read the book of Habakkuk. It shouldn't take you even 45. It should be, uh, you should be done with it. But then Habakkuk comes to this conclusion after he goes back and forth with God in verse 17 in his prayer. I'm going to quote this one. So verse 17, I'll read 17, 18, and 19. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now I need you to know that what Habakkuk just talked about is the Jewish livelihood. He's saying, if I lose my job, if I have no housing, things we desire, things we hold on to. Imagine you don't have your car, you don't have your job, you don't have your house, your family rejects you, there are no supermarkets, you don't have the money, your bank account is empty. It's been wiped, and Habakkuk is saying, even though my bank account is white, even though I have no food, even though I have no housing, even though I have no children, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In other words, his joy is not dependent on the things and the, the material stuff of life. He's saying, I can be joyful in my God, whether I have animals, whether I have food, whether I have money, because joy is not built on, on happenings, the things of life. And then he senses coming to his mind. The spirit is moving. And he says in verse 18, verse 19, as if to say, why would I come to that place? As if to say, because. Now he says, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. Now, now this has been the greatest scripture in my life. God. The Lord is my strength. I don't know what your strength is. I don't know where you've put all your trust. But I'll tell you. Soon, you'll be disappointed if your strength is not Yahweh. You'll be disappointed. When God is your strength, it doesn't matter what political season we go through because I know politicians do not shape my destiny. My God shapes my destiny. When God is my strength, I cannot be intimidated by my boss. Sorry, Fikre. I cannot be intimidated because I know he will make a way 
in the desert. He's the God who makes a way in the walls. He's the God who calls water out of the rock. He's the God who makes a way in the, in the sea. He's the God who brings food out of nowhere. Shows up when his children cry for meat. He says, you eat it until it blows you up. He provides even more than enough. He's the God who makes a way where there is no way. He is my strength. My degree is meaningless. I'm sorry. But some of us put all our lives in our credentials. Before you even introduce yourself to someone as a child of God, you're already bubbling and talking about your credentials. You know, I have a PhD, you know. Who cares? God has not put you on the face of the earth to brag about credentials. Be a light to the people who need him. Show the world that the Lord God is your strength. The Lord God is my strength. When marriage is falling apart, I take a walk around the park. I say, Lord, I married this beautiful girl called Sejo. But you know, she got issues. <laughs> and you know I got my own issues. Now, Lord, I married a sinner, and I am a sinner myself. And then I say, Lord, look around us. Seen everywhere. How do I raise children? How do I walk in a, a, in, a, in a righteous marriage when I have a sinner in my bed and I am a sinner and the people around us are all sinners? Like, how do we do that? And then the voice comes back. He says, because it's not your strength. The Lord God is your strength. Because he's your strength, he can walk with you. The Lord is our strength. Is our strength. When God is your strength, it's going to be hard to compromise your faith. It's going to be hard to compromise. We compromise because we think, oh, maybe that could replace my God. No. How can we find the courage to reject cultural idolatry and refuse to compromise? What lies at the heart of living with that sort of faith? What lies at the heart? Trust in God's deliverance. That's it. Trust in God's deliverance. Verse 19. We go back to Daniel 3. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled, with, was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Messiah, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times, more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Messiah, and Abednego. And to cast them into the burning fury furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics. Their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fury furnace. 
because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of uh, the fire killed those who took up Sidrach, Mesach, and Abednego. And these three men, Sidrach, Mesach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fury furnace. There is a, then there is a suspense there. 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fury furnace. He declared, Shidrach, Mesach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Mesach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together. And so that the fire had, no, had not had any power of the bodies, over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own God. Verse 29. Therefore I make a decree. I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shidrach, Mesach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. God knows what kind of promotion is this. Hallelujah. That's it. Trust in God's deliverance. I don't know what kind of fire you are going through. My sister, my brother. I don't know. But I see that God does not save these men from the fire. He saves them in the fire. In the fire. God Almighty has the power to extinguish the flames of Nebuchadnezzar. But you know what God the Almighty does? He steps in the fire and says, Nebuchadnezzar, you can hit this fire as much as you want. But I am a God who reigns. And I am going to show you today that you cannot touch what I have chosen to be mine. That is what our God does. So what kind of fire are you going through? I don't know. A loss of a girlfriend. Disappointment. Loss of a job. Loss of a child. Like I shared, it's hard as parents to experience some sort of, you know, experience miscarriages. Marriages are shaken. Probably you've made some investments and your money is tanking as you see the trend. Tanking, tanking, you say, what kind of decision did I make? You're not alone in the fire. 
call on your God and say, Lord, I know you stood with these men in the fire. I know you can do the same with me today. I am in this fire, and I need you to walk with me. I need your assurance, God, because I know you are a God who walks with your children in the fire. He walks with us in the fire. Now, God could say, I don't want you to go through the fire. But imagine the quality of our faith if we didn't have fires. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? He acknowledges this God. Why? Because I don't know, guys, but for some reason, you read the Bible, you know that God does not like sharing his glory. No. Remember what happened to Moses? When he tried to share that glory, God tells him, speak to the rock, and Moses says, I'll strike it. God says, speak. The man strikes the rock. And the consequences he could not escape. You cannot share in God's glory. These are moments when God says, I want the world to know that I am the maker of the heavens and the earth. And I have created you just to become a testament of that. I have created you. That's why we are here. To maximize the glory of God. To expand his kingdom. These boys are witnesses. They are witnessing to an unbelieving, idolatrous culture. By saying we walk in the fire. And God showing up. And see the glory. And then faith was prolonged and the the children of Israel are prolonged, and so we begin to see kings now bowing in and respecting such a God. Are you in the fire? God is with you. But it's hard to have such a God when you don't know him, when you don't know his son. So I want to pray for us. You don't have a relationship with such a God. It's hard to have that fellowship. Because God comes in. Coming in shows how much he cares. It's that fellowship that we have with him. Are you in the fire? I don't know what kind of fire. But how can you have that fellowship without knowing God? So if you don't know Christ, today's your day. I'll be here and I'll pray for you. Pastor Fikri will be here. will lead you to know the son of the living God. But if you're going through the fire, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are a God who does not shy away from the fire. You stepped in this fire with your children. You showed up when they desperately needed you. And you reminded them that you were in charge. Nebuchadnezzar was never in charge. You were in charge. Thank you for showing up, for sending your angel, whether it was Jesus, whether it was an angel, you showed up. That was a fourth person in the fire. Father, as we walk through the challenges of life, the heat of this culture, the host culture hating us and pushing us to conform, to surrender, to bow. I pray that you remind us that we have another person in the fire, that you are with us. I pray for your children. I don't know what they are going through, whether their marriages are shaken, 
whether they are single and whoever they've been dating, no one seems to uh, understand uh, their lives. No one seems to, uh, their relationship fall apart. Every dating, um, they, they go through. I pray, my God, that you show up in every fire. Show up, my God. Save your children in the fire and then from the fire. Because you are a God who's faithful. You're a God who says, I will never leave you as orphans. I'll be with you. You're a God who says that I'll be with you to the end of the age. We give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.